Well, this morning, the sermon that I'm going to bring is part of the Rise Up series. What we've been doing as a church family is we have been processing through some very profound thoughts and very profound biblical stories that challenge us to be a group of people that rise up. Not only that, but we are in the 50-day season between Easter and Pentecost Sunday. It's the longest of the church holidays that is anywhere on the calendar, that time between Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. On Pentecost Sunday, this sermon series will come to an end. Rise Up is also the intersection between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection life that he provides for us. But it's also an understanding that God calls us to be a people that rise up. That we would be a group of people who are growing up, stepping up, facing up, building up, and this morning a group of people that will wise up. But also, there's this sense of an overarching thought throughout this entire sermon series, and it's this. Very rarely in life will you or I rise up without a person or an event calling us to do so. Again, very rarely in life, and this is true in the scriptures as well as in things that I've noticed, very rarely in life will you or I rise up without a person or an event calling us to do so, and oftentimes the most profound ones are where an event and a person come together. But I'm also convinced of this because it's happened in my life and I've observed it countless times. It's also true that we can rise up when the stories of God are read in faith and believed in faith. And through those stories, we are empowered to rise up and do incredible things for God. I believe that. And so the story that we're going to look at this morning for Mother's Day is a story that's going to call us to rise up and to wise up on Mother's Day. I'm going to be utilizing Proverbs 31. The reason why I wanted to utilize Proverbs 31, and this isn't in my notes, but I want to share it, is that throughout the years, I've heard Proverbs 31 to be utilized to where it's almost punished women. Now, as we look at the idea of Mother's Day, and we look at the idea of motherhood biblically, I want you to know at the outset that God looks specifically at times in the Older Testament at motherhood in a very unique way. In Isaiah chapter 49, there's an incredible story through the prophet Isaiah when Israel looks at God and feels abandoned by God, feels distant from God. And Isaiah the prophet speaks for God and says this about God's love for people. That God could no more forget you than a woman who's nursing her baby could forget a child. God looks down at motherhood, specifically a mother nursing the child, and says to all people, I love you more than that. 
To think that I could forget you is like thinking a nursing mother could forget her child. You see, motherhood in Scripture is an elevated reality, but so is womanhood in general. I am keenly aware that when Mother's Day comes around, it's not a great day for all ladies. I'm aware of this. For some of us, the word mother is positive, but that's not true for all. Some, it's because some women are not mothers and wish they were. It's also the case that some sitting here, some women or some women that will watch this sermon recognize that as a woman they wish things were different. Maybe they're single and they wish they were married and they find in the midst of being a woman and hearing that word mother that it's not always a positive thing. And yet, I believe with all of my heart as I prayed just a few moments ago that womanhood and manhood are both a testimony to the image of God and to the creative genius of who God is. I believe that. So what I would like to do this morning is I would like to read Proverbs 31 in totality. Ladies, as I'm reading it, I want you to think about how you feel as I read Proverbs 31. Here we go. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings to him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. In other words, she knows really good fabric. That reminds me of my wife. Reading on. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She's an importer of international delicacies. She gets up while it is still night and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She cooks breakfast in bed. Reading on, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. In other words, she's a real estate broker. Reading on, she sets about her work vigorously and her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She's a successful businesswoman. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindles with her fingers. She is a weaver. She opens her arms to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. She works with meals on wheels. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. She's a woman that plans way ahead. She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Means she's wealthy. By the way, any time in Scripture you see fabric as given as having a color, just know that that's wealth. In the ancient world, it was unbelievably expensive to dye wool or natural fibers any color. Anytime you see color, it's a sign of wealth. Reading on, while she's been doing all that she's been doing over the last nine verses, here's what her husband's been up to. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. So for nine verses, she's out working and he's chilling with the boys. Let's read on. <laughs> 
She makes linen garment and sells them. She supplies merchants with sashes. She's an international businesswoman. On top of that, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She's got a sense of humor through all of this. And she speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Remember, she's a source of wisdom. Reading on, she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now let's be careful here, and here's why. Because God in his command to Israel said everyone must rest one day of the week. Resting and recuperating is not idleness. It's not what the Bible is speaking about. Reading on, it says her children arise and call her blessed, and her husband also. And he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She has incredible reverence for God. Honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Ladies, how do you feel Tired. Well done. <laughs> I had the opportunity this past week to read Proverbs 31 to two groups of women. One had 40 plus women and the other one had 10 to 15 women. And when I was at the end of that and I read it to them, I said, how do you feel? And here's what they said. Defeated, ashamed, guilty, and exhausted. All we did was read the life of the Proverbs 31 woman, and women were going, oof, I'm exhausted. How can that be true? You see, I know a God who loves us. I know a God who wants the best for us. How could it possibly be that Proverbs 31 would be there to condemn and to put down and leave with a sense of guilt and shame? My heart tells me that's simply not what Proverbs 31 is all about. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick journey through Proverbs 31. And as we do it, we're going to begin by understanding the arc of the book of Proverbs. You see, the book of Proverbs was written by or edited by King Solomon. You see, King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. The Bible tells us that when he took over the throne for his father, King David, that Solomon was giving sacrifices to God. He was making a thousand sacrifices on one day and God appears to him and says, hey Solomon, Solomon, tell me what you want. You're now the king of Israel, you're taking over for your dad, tell me what you want and whatever you ask for I will give you. And Solomon says this, God please give me wisdom. I need wisdom and a discerning heart to lead these people, and without it, I'm going to pancake right on my face. And God says this to Solomon, because you asked for wisdom, and you didn't ask for money or for your enemies to die, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. And God, by his grace, makes Solomon the wisest man that ever lived. And so what the book of Proverbs is about is Solomon downloading all the wisdom that God has given him to a specific person, and it's his son. The book of Proverbs is 31 chapters of wisdom. 
And I encourage you to read one chapter per, per day that coincides with the day of the month. But here's what happens. Solomon downloads this wisdom, and in doing so, he says to his son in chapter one, my son, my son, listen to wisdom. Pay attention to wisdom. If you want to have a good life and a prosperous life, you will understand wisdom. But what is really amazing is that right out of the gate, in the book of Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, it's not just you download what King Solomon writes to his son to prepare him for life, but you fear the Lord. And it's repeated throughout the book of Proverbs, not only in chapter 1, verse 7, at the beginning of the book, but also in Proverbs 9, 10, it says it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Oftentimes, we look at fear as something that cripples, kind of hogties us, ties us up, doesn't let us be what we really ought to be. Fear causes us to recoil and to turtle up. But the fear of the Lord isn't that at all. The fear of the Lord is your understanding that the God who created you and sent his son into the world is awesome. He's powerful. But the fear of the Lord is when we understand that God is a God of awe and wonder. He's a God of sovereignty. He's a God of love. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy. And the understanding from the very beginning of the book of Proverbs is that when we fear God, we get wisdom. But when we're haughty and proud, we are left to our own demise. Now, as we look at chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs, it begins by saying this, a woman of character, a woman of noble character who can find. It's a question mark. Can you imagine King Solomon downloads this wisdom at the very end of all of his wisdom? At the very end, he says to his son, a woman of noble character who can find. It's a question. And I believe there's two answers to the question. And the first one is this. You don't find a woman of noble character. She becomes one. And that's what Proverbs 31 is all about. But interestingly enough, when we look at that phrase in Hebrew that says, a woman of noble character who can find, it's a fascinating phrase. The Hebrew phrase is a shet chalil. A shet chalil. It is translated as woman of noble character. But what's amazing is that Hebrew word, chayil, is found all over the Older Testament. Here's what's incredible. When it's attributed to men, it's called valor. When it's attributed to women, it's called character. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as though women can't have valor. I believe that this is translated improperly. 
I believe that the beginning of Proverbs 31 ought to say, who can find a woman of noble valor? That's what I believe. Because again, throughout the Older Testament, when it's attributed to men, it's called valor. Things like this, David's mighty men of valor. It doesn't say David's mighty men of character. It says David's mighty men of valor. Why can't women have valor? I know you can because I'm married to one. Amen. But you see this. Biblically, valor is not just about what you do. Valor in the Bible is always about why you do what you do and how you do it. So you can do a valiant thing, but if you do it for the wrong reason or you do it the wrong way, it ceases to be valor. But I believe Proverbs 31 positions for us a woman of valor. But to be a woman of valor also means you must have character as well. As I thought about being a woman of valor, the Older Testament and the Newer are filled with women of valor. We've got Shifra and Pua, who feared God in the Older Testament. Both of them had wisdom from God and became so courageous that as midwives, they defied Pharaoh and they began to keep the young Jewish boys alive. That's valor. Not only that, Rahab, the prostitute in the, in the Older Testament, opposes her own people when she, she sees the Israelite army coming and she says with full boldness, the Lord your God, to the Hebrew people, the Lord your God is indeed God in heaven, above earth and on the earth below. Rahab was a woman of valor. There was Deborah in the Older Testament Deborah was a woman of valor. She's the one that discerned that God had sent a storm to destroy God's enemies and Israel's army's opponents. Also, there's Abigail. Abigail was a woman of valor because putting it bluntly, her husband was an idiot. And she went up to David when he was gonna kill him and she said, don't do that, my husband's an idiot. Let him live. I have to live with him, David. You don't. Let him live. And she comes back to David later. What a woman of valor. She says, David, when I did that, I saved you from blood guilt before God. God would have judged you. There's Huldah. She spoke fearlessly to the king and all his courtiers. She did it four times when she stood in front of the king and said, thus says the Lord. Then there's Esther, Queen Esther, the one who in the Older Testament, a book is written after her, that she was a beautiful woman. God promoted her to an incredible position of authority and power. But when her Israelite people were going to be wiped out, she was a woman of valor and she recognized God put her in that position for such a time as this. And then last but not least, in the Older Testament, there's a woman called Ruth. There are two books of the Bible written after women. One is Esther, and the other one is Ruth. Ruth comes first in the Older Testament. Ruth was a woman who was a Moabite. You see, she lived in Moab, 
But she was a woman that when she heard about Israel's God through her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said to her mother-in-law, when her mother-in-law was returning to Israel, after her father-in-law and her husband and her other sister-in-law's husband had died, when Naomi was returning to Israel, Ruth looked at her after understanding Naomi's Israelite God, and she said to Naomi, from this day forward, your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And with incredible valor, she immigrated from Moab to Israel and became an immigrant in the nation of Israel. You see, Eshet Khalil means woman of valor, and the Bible is filled with them. Remember this, though. Valor isn't just about what you do. Valor is about how you do it and why. So now, Proverbs 31.10 begins with this. A wife of noble valor, who can find? And it's a question. And the answer to the question, again, is twofold. Number one, is a woman isn't that to be found, she becomes that. But stunningly enough, in the Older Testament, someone finds a woman of valor. Someone finds one. And her name is Ruth. We just mentioned her. You see in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, a wealthy, powerful man meets Ruth after she immigrates to Israel. And in immigrating to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, she does it because she believes Israel's God's the real God, and she wants to seek him out, and so she immigrates with Naomi, and she becomes an immigrant in Israel, and when they return to Israel, they are in total poverty. They have nothing. And so what Ruth does is what all widows and all impoverished women do in Israel during the Ancient of Days, and that is... She begins to glean in the fields. You see, in Israel, if you were a farmer, you owned an orchard, God commanded that you would leave the edges for the poor. It was part of a tithe to God, but it was also a part of social welfare. And so every farmer, every orchard owner, every vineyard keeper was commanded by God in the Older Testament to leave the edges for the poor. Not only that, you could only harvest once. Whatever you missed had to be left for the poor. And it was predominantly widows who were impoverished that would glean the fields. And so Ruth, as a Moabite immigrant in Israel, goes out to glean the fields. And as she is gleaning the fields, trying to keep herself from starving, the owner of the field, Boaz, notices her. And over time, he asks questions about her from people that know her. And then they actually have an interaction. And in the interaction in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, Boaz, who is a wealthy, powerful man who owned the field that she'd been gleaning in for some time, says to her, here's what he says, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. He calls her what the book of Proverbs says you can't find. He found one. And I would say he most likely said to her, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble valor. 
I believe that that's what he said, but picture Ruth. Ladies, this is important because Proverbs 31 has certain nuances about where that woman is in life. But I want you to remember who Ruth is. Remember what the book of Proverbs says. And then remember what Boaz says about her. You are a woman of noble valor. Here's her station in life. She's not making food for her children. She doesn't have any. Her children do not arise and call her blessed. She's childless. She does not have a husband that praises her. She's a widow. She's not a woman who gets up early in the morning and makes exotic food for her servants. She doesn't have any servants. She's barely staying alive by gleaning in the fields. What we discover is, is that here is Ruth, and yet she's called a woman of noble valor, and she's not doing any of what Proverbs 31 says a woman of noble valor ought to be doing. None. She's nowhere close to that station of life. And yet Boaz, who's a godly man, looks at her and says, you are a woman of valor. Why? Here's why. Because she's a woman that fears the Lord. You see, she has immigrated from a seven-day journey away from Moab and immigrated to Israel in order to worship the true God. She's a woman that fears God. And when Boaz sees that, that's what denotes her as being a woman of valor. There's another primary thought that I want to bring to all the ladies that are here from the book of Proverbs. Because again, so often when I would hear the book of Proverbs preached, especially Proverbs 31, it was a list of things that, woman, you better be doing, and if you're not doing them, you're not a Proverbs 31 woman. Now, that's obviously not God's heart. Here's another thought that I want all of the women to know is that in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, when wisdom is being introduced, where the whole reason for the book is being introduced, here's what Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 21 says. Here's what King Solomon writes. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. If you were to read on, you would discover in Proverbs chapter 8, this theme continues, which is absolutely incredible. Wisdom is this thing that is central to the existence of God, and wisdom is being presented as a woman. In chapter 8, it says this, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance, she cries aloud. Wisdom is a woman. Reading on in Proverbs chapter 8, near the end of that chapter, it says, as wisdom speaks about who she is, it says, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be, when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. 
when there was no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills were made, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep its command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Do you hear what Proverbs is saying is that wisdom is a woman and co-created with God? It's incredible. It's incredible. What's even more amazing is that we know from ancient church history that even in the second century, that as people were writing about who Jesus is, there are tons of sermons and writings that teach that Jesus is wisdom. That Jesus is the one that's back there. Jesus literally captures the theme of being the woman of wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 1 verse 24 tells us that Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God. John 1.3 says, through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, for in Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, the idea in the Newer Testament is this is that Jesus steps in, and when he does, he captures and he embraces that picture of the woman of wisdom who has helped God create and celebrated the creation of God. Now, please hear this. In Proverbs 31, Proverbs chapter 31 is all about the wisdom being passed down to a son about the woman in his life. But here's what I want you to catch, and you need to know this. Do you know who wrote what King Solomon has in Proverbs? It tells us in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1, a woman. It says, King Lemuel's mother taught him these sayings. And what you can't tell is everything I read was actually a poem. It was an acrostic with 22 lines. Each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has a line about the Proverbs 31 woman. And in it, there's wisdom from a mom to a son. Isn't that fascinating? King Solomon doesn't write to his son about how to view his wife or to view his wife or to view women. A woman is the one that wrote it. And King Solomon embraces the poem and brings it in, in the last chapter that he will write. And here's what he says to his son. Son, her husband has full confidence in her. Remember, who can find a woman of valor? She becomes one. Men, do you speak confidence to your wife? Do you build her up? I have found that if I'm in a context and people have confidence in me, I can do things. But if I'm in a context where repeatedly someone does not have confidence in me, it's not long before everyone and anyone underachieves. You see, Proverbs 31 begins with the wisdom from a mother to a son. Have confidence in your wife.
Reading on, there's more wisdom. And the wisdom is one that has deeply convicted me. It says this, it says that her children arise in the morning and call mom blessed. And her husband also, he praises her. Here's what I believe, that this woman is teaching King Lemuel. King, how you talk to the mother is how the kids will. If you praise her and build her up, the children will. But if you condemn her and belittle her, the children will as well. Then it goes on even further. There's this incredible wisdom that this woman wants to deposit to her son, King Lemuel. And it's this. It says that while she was doing all that work that we heard about, what was he doing again? He was sitting. And all the men say, Amen. Amen. But here's where he's sitting. He's sitting at the city gate, and it's where all the judgments are made for the legal system. He's actually a judge. And he sits at the city gate. And there he takes his seat, and the Bible says that he's highly respected as a judge at the city gate. But then verse 26 tells us that this Proverbs 31 woman, that she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And then at the end, at the end of Proverbs 31, in verse 31, it says this about her, let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Do you know what this King Lemuel's mother's trying to teach him? Is that the women in the king's life are wise. Listen to them. And so what ends up happening is the king goes to the city gate and he brings a judgment. And when he brings a judgment, all of the men sitting there go, whoa, he's so smart. But you know what he did? He took the case home the night before. And he knows his wife has faithful wisdom and there's knowledge on her tongue. And he explains the case and she says to him, here's what I would do. And he goes, noted. And he goes and sits at the city gate. When he does, he gives his judgment. And everyone goes, whoa, you're brilliant. Dude, way to go. You're so wise. And I love what the mother teaches her son. Make sure that the woman's work brings her praise. Where? City gate. When you have an awesome judgment, admit where it came from. Say, guys, guys, I know I'm brilliant. But my wife was the one that told me to say what I just said. And everyone goes, whoa, it's incredible. She's full of wisdom. Finally, it says this, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Here we are at the fear of God. The fear of the Lord. And gentlemen, Here's what the queen's mother was trying to teach him. What do you praise your wife for? Is it always because she's beautiful? And if she is, tell her. Never stop telling her. But every woman knows that the beauty the day they were married is going to change. I mean, I'm still as handsome as I was the day I got married, but you know how that goes. But the idea here is this. If all of the compliments are external, she already knows she's in trouble. 
What the queen, the king's mother's trying to teach him is that when you compliment the ladies in your life, make sure it's not all external. Make sure it has to do with character and valor and the fact that she fears the Lord. So here's what I can say with confidence. Any woman, anywhere, anytime, can become a woman of character, a woman of valor, because you don't have to be married or have children or even to be a widow. Doesn't matter where you're at in life, you can be viewed as a woman of valor because you fear God. What's stunning is when the book of Ruth ends, I want to read the last sentence and then we're going to stand together and pray. But the book of Ruth ends with a genealogy. And here's the genealogy. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, the king of Israel. Ruth gave birth through Boaz to Obed. Obed is King David's grandfather. God includes her in the line of the Messiah because she's a woman who fears the Lord. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I'm going to ask that we would close our eyes but open our hearts. The Bible says that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's the only thing in Proverbs 31 that is actually to be praised. As we stand into God's presence, women, please know if you've ever heard any other sermons on Proverbs 31 that left you defeated, that's not the heart of God. God knows that each and every one of you have that incredible trajectory of being a woman of valor because your heart is turned towards God and you have a heart to fear Him. Men, Proverbs 31 is written to us, not to her. It's written to us to show us what it looks like to see a woman flourish and be everything God could ever dream that she would be. Our role is to serve her and to support her and to make sure she achieves her fullness, never to oppress her or to keep her down. Lord, now I ask that your wisdom would begin to be totally resident in our hearts. I pray over every woman that's here that she would be a Proverbs 31 woman, that she would be like Ruth, that wherever she finds herself, her heart would turn towards God. God, I lift all of us men up to you and pray that we would be Proverbs 31 men. In Jesus' name, amen.